0: Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast, brought to you by New Balance of Edmund, featuring Keegan Renault from SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Today, and Brady Trantham.
1: Hello, Brady. Bob Stoops here. Appreciate the great Sooner fan that you are and have been through all these years. Boomer Sooner.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast. Uh, Happy Election Day. Hopefully everybody's uh, not had to stand in line too long. hopefully everybody is out there safe and able to get everything done. Um, I know everybody's probably just like me, drained on election news. I promise you you won't hear one more thing about the election on this podcast. So what you what we got in store for you today is we have the media corner conversation I had yesterday with Eddie Radosovich from Soonerscoop.com, 107.7 The Franchise Morning Show. You know who who he is from Twitter.com, Celebrity Fame, that Mr. Eddie Radosovich, But going to listen to a little bit of that. Uh, The entire conversation is available at our Patreon page, uh, www.patreon.com slash inside underscore OU. All you need is just to pay $4 a month to get that conversation every Monday, the post-game show podcast that Keegan and I do every Saturday, or basically every time every, every time OU plays. Another podcast I do every Friday called Sooner Flashback Friday, which you heard last week for free on the 54 TCU game. And then if you want to add another dollar, you get all that for $5 a month plus Keegan's film review, which he will be working on later today. Uh, while the election is going on. So kudos to Keegan for thinking about what's truly important here, and that's Oklahoma Film Review. So you're going to get Eddie Radosovich for a few minutes, and then we're going to take it to Keegan and I following Lincoln Rally's press conference on Tuesday, and just a handful of other things that we have in our mind. It's Kansas week, so (laughs) it's Kansas week. So we're probably going to talk a lot about uh, Big 12 football, what OU needs to do, just a little taste of it. And I'm sure we'll get into, like, some things about OU football just on the team. But big podcast coming at you
1: in three, two, one. The sexy thing to say is, like, now, like, thinking about, like, how good they could be in 21 if this defense returns. But it does seem like they're kind of coming together as far as, you know, like, the vision of what Alex Grinch wants, quote-unquote, speed D to be. Like, it's the first time in a long time, uh, Brady, that I can think, like, I'm excited to see them take the field. I'm excited to see them play defense right now. Yeah, I mean, I started feeling that way
0: last year sure. uh, with the defense, uh, especially against Texas in that game where I am I'm, I usually go to the Texas game with my cousin who's mm-hmm. a Texas fan, so we try to be civil to one another. Mm-hmm. But, like, 10 minutes in that game, I'm like, I'm excited for the defense to come out here. I haven't been able to say that
1: since 2010, 2009. Yeah. We almost like, said it was, like, 2011 maybe. Like was the last of sharks that you had to, well, <laughs> I don't know about the sharks on the back end, but you at least had guys up front that were making plays, yeah, and it's like I mean I'm sure Keegan brought it up because he's in love with the trio, but like Benito... and you can throw Benito in there, but more importantly, like Isaiah Thomas, Perron Winfrey and Ronnie Perkins mm. I think I think you can la- you can make a lot of money off of that uh, at some point oh yeah, and Jalen Redman's not playing this year sure just imagine sure.
0: Yeah, you brought it up so let's get right into ronnie and like just as someone who covers the team every day mm-hmm. as some as me who has to cover another team every day when you know you have to go into a practice or an availability and you know the answer to the question that everybody has to ask sure. it's so tiresome sure. it's, it's such
1: a chore and there's how just happy? so much like rumor and innuendo about everything yeah
0: how happy are you that at least two of the three are we extremely. saw the play football on Saturday. Yeah, I'm yeah.
1: extremely happy. I, I, I you know, it, it sounds stupid to say it out loud, but I'd forgotten how much fun I have watching Ronnie Perkins play football.
0: I tried to temper my expectations for him just because, look, it's unfair to expect him to have such an impact because mm-hmm. he's in shape. Sure. He's probably not in game shape because sure. that takes a while. I mean, look at the team... Like the offensive line, they yeah. were clearly not in shape the first two or yeah. three games or four games. You know, I don't want to just blame the losses. Oh, no, yeah, that, but, for sure. Um, they were clearly not in shape. It takes time, but Ronnie just he ran down a running back twice, twice. when he didn't have the angle. He manhandled Tech's quarterback with one hand and he played every snap. Yeah, it's incredible.
1: I was like, we spent three hours on the pregame show, uh, Saturday. Me and Todd did out at uh, Twin Peaks doing a uh, pregame for the franchise, and it was like. What, like, how much contribution can they make is a realistic idea? And, you know, I thought he'd get in, and I thought, you know, maybe Stevenson gets in some, like, uh, goal line packages or something like that. But, I mean, those guys are difference makers. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious that they needed them at some point in the season. You can't go back and say, oh, they would have won those games. But, you know, who knows? Ramondre Ro- Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins will play football on Sundays at some point.
0: Yeah, like, I, I'd actually be willing to go that far. I think I'd said it to Keegan last week at some point where – um, even if OU had the missed tackles, the penalties mm-hmm. against Iowa State, even mm-hmm. if their offense somewhat stalled, I mean, even with Spencer Rattler's turnovers mm-hmm. uh, against Kansas State, if Ramondre Stevenson, if you just plug in Ramondre Stevenson, OU probably is fi- is six and zero. Now, are they a 6-0 team with playoff aspirations sure. seriously? Technically, yes, sure. but we would all be sitting here going, eh, I don't know just yet. Like, the receivers are a little... Yeah. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they can kind of disappear. The offensive line has been consistent over the last few weeks, but overall it's been inconsistent. So, I think is that good. and you He's take, really good. That would take away a Seth McGowan fumble against Kansas sure. State. Um, that would give OU a running game against Iowa State. Yeah. Ramondre is just... I thought he was... I don't wanna say their best back last year, but once we got to the point where Trey Sermon started just going away from the yeah. rotation and it was mainly just Kennedy Brooks, I just remember thinking like, Why isn't Ramondre getting more opportunities? That guy has a special birth he to
1: me, he's like a bigger, faster Damian Williams. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people that are familiar with Damon Williams, obviously, at Oklahoma, and, you know, I what was it, uh, Reggie Bush called him, like, a Lindell White type-esque. Yeah. I would say I'm somewhere in between. Yeah. Somewhere in between a Lindell White-esque guy, because he is a monster of a person. Like, yeah. you stand up next to him, he is a huge kid, and I think he's even gained a little bit of weight coming into this year i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing but he's still moving pretty well i
0: heard he was what 255 260 i wouldn't be
1: surprised man he is a load of a person austin stogner is 260 <laughs> he, he runs the ball like a man though yeah he runs the ball like a man
0: oh he had that one run in the second quarter he it was like a 13 14 yard game but he gets the ball and immediately cuts mm-hmm. and i'm like dude all all respect to tj pleasure seth mcgowan uh you know maybe seth McGowan's kind of put. A little bit behind this year, not sure. having an off season sure. he, he will be fine when he has an off season uh, training regimen, I thought
1: he had he had some good runs in the third and fourth quarter when he got a little bit more of an opportunity, yeah, to.
0: but those guys don't still make a that vision play.
1: thing like, Ramondre goes one step and goes mm-hmm. and you know McGowan's still trying to kind of feel his way into it a little bit, and mm-hmm. I think he's just going to have to work himself out of that
0: and like the the one thing that I keep th- thinking of as we get you know to the point where I mean Keegan was. He was so adamant about, oh, he's going to win their six big doll championship this year. And my whole thing, Eddie, was just, I think that youth, inexperience, and key players mm-hmm. making stupid penalties. You know, you know, we're talking about Buki, yeah, uh, Trey Brown, Tyrese Robinson, who was not necessarily. I don't think he was correctly called for a hold in the first quarter against texas
1: tech oh on the first play of the game yeah he doesn't touch anybody it couldn't have been him
0: yeah so i think the refs
1: just kind of screwed up there (laughs) they had to initially my brain was like oh here we go again but um oh no from like the way that that game started it's like tech goes down on seven plays and scores OU goes three and out because they're in first and 20 after that hold yeah and you're like and then tech uh what they do they completed that ball to midfield Mm -hmm. on the second series and it's like Holy shit like they're getting ready to go down 14. nothing real quick And yeah. then they backed up in third and 45 and the rest was history. <laughs> oh he goes on a 42-0 run like it was what's crazy too is like did oh they scored their first touchdown with five minutes left. In the first quarter, I think.
0: Yeah, they ended the first quarter up twenty-one seven, but I think the last play was that Drake Stoops catch where he like made two guys miss, at, and he got down to the eight yard yeah, line. Like so they were based, the they were knocking on the door to score twenty-eight in it's just like, one boom, quarter. Boom, 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 yeah. boom. Yeah, they scored twenty-eight in the second quarter or twenty-five because I think they had a field goal on one drive with Gabe Burgage. But um, to me, it's just as we get further along, uh, Keegan's all about they're going to win their sixth Big Twelve championship. But I. I kind of lean more towards youth inexperience and then some dumb play, mm-hmm. and you can even chalk up dumb play calling because yeah. that's played a factor this year. Yeah. I think that the likelihood that that all occurs on one bad day is more likely that they a win out, and then are able to make it into the Big Twelve Championship. I mean, where it, where are you kind of staying right now?
1: I mean, I think that they're obviously going to still need a little bit of help, uh, you know. But I, I I guess they'll take another step this weekend if Oklahoma State goes up to Manhattan and takes care of business. I don't have much trust in Will Howard right now. It does feel like Oklahoma is starting to round into form, but you just don't know, like, have I, I don't want to say fooled by any means because I think just, like, watching it, it looks very clean right now. But can they continue to build off what they've done? And, I mean, there's reason to think that they have a lot of youth down there right now, and they're going to continue to develop. They're going to continue to be uh, playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. But I just... Like, I don't know where those losses are coming from. Like, I think it's going to still be pretty tough to go to Morgantown and win. Uh, They're obviously going to win this weekend, and then you have Baylor and Oklahoma State. And, you know, I I, I think the the Oklahoma State game is probably. There's a lot of Oklahoma fans waking up today thinking it's just going to be simple. Maybe I've read that wrong, but I think everybody kind of in the back of their brain knows that Bedlam is usually kind of weird, anyways, even if Oklahoma State is, uh, you know, four and six as yeah. opposed to what they are this year in, you know, 538. They, sh- they shouldn't have lost on Saturday. If Gundy's smart, which when o- we're Oklahoma talking about that. Oklahoma State but, had their Kansas State game
0: last week. Exactly. I mean, if Gundy is smart, which we can't really even assume will happen because it's sure. Bethlehem what we're talking about. But if Gundy's smart, he's just going to have Spencer Sanders just throw jump balls to Tyler Wallace. I know. And unless Jaden Davis or Woody Washington are matched up against him, which I would assume Trey Brown would, like, that's, sure. that's a matchup OSU should favor. Yeah. Um I mean I think anybody
1: that lines up against Tyler Wallace is gonna probably be on the other side of that.
0: Yeah. No, like again, like my thing is just they should win the rest of their games the way yeah. that they're playing because they're gonna be and we, in every game. We, we even I think we even talked about this after uh, when you were on after Kansas State. Mm-hmm. The ceiling of this team is still the highest in the conference. We we could have said that after Iowa State. Like if they figure it out this year. Like they'll obviously need a lot of help to get back into the Big 12 Championship race, but if they figure it out, like, they will be, no one will want to play them, because they they have the most talent. Sure. Offensively, def- defensively, Grinch is getting things rolling. That defensive line has become, I mean, I don't know now, but two weeks ago we were all like, this is the best unit on the team, but mm-hmm. with the way the O-line's playing, with the way the uh, Ramondre coming back, the running backs, the receivers, and now Spencer, you can kind of make an argument what exactly the best unit is, but they should win the rest of their games. Sure. OSU, like you said, is going to be weird. Um, West Virginia on the road, which I'm fairly certain will be a night game, because I think going back to 2012, every game in Morgantown OU's played in has been a seven all o'clock been kickoff. Night games, yeah. Um, and and he, then and you
1: just don't know what the weather's going to be like up there.
0: Yeah, OU's kicked their ass in the snow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the the, the, the oh, Texas Tech game on up there. The Texas Tech game on Saturday reminded me so much of the 2016 West Virginia game. Mm-hmm. It's all. What was that dude? Oh, is the, the dude from West Virginia? You remember that guy on Twitter? Oh, uh, yeah, the Mountaineer all, man or whatever. All week he was yeah. saying like, oh, OU has never seen. Uh, th- they'll never see like an atmosphere like they're yeah. gonna see this Saturday." And it was like,
1: "Yeah, OU has never played in front." of – It's like of- every every time OU walks into a stadium, they're expecting that kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> and OU goes up forty two nothing. like in the blink of an eye. Yeah, that was an ass
1: whooping. <laughs> that was another one of those ass whoopings. They just played really well, and it's like I. It's frustrating to a certain extent because it's like, where was this in Ames? Where was this in, uh, you know, Norman? Mm-hmm. But then again, it's like the Kansas State game is just so weird because you're up three touchdowns. You're up three touchdowns with two 250 left. Like, the things, the series of events that have to happen oh, yeah. to lose a game like that are just, they don't happen very often. And
0: that's what it comes down to. Like, if OU can eliminate that part of themselves, mm-hmm. sure,
1: but... They had a veteran quarterback. They mm-hmm. probably at least split those two games. I think that's fair. Like, you can live with how they got beat names just because they didn't we all just went through a crippling ice storm in October.
2: Everyone's dealing with tree damage and potentially house damage due to limbs or trees falling down. We have the answer for you. Regional Roofing and Construction is a veteran and locally owned business here in the Oklahoma City Metro. They provide top quality roofing and construction services. Right now, Regional Roofing and Construction can cut down trees, holloway damaged limbs, and assess your home for any further damage. Call or text Regional Roofing at 405-623-0755 for a free quote and all your needs after this historic October ice storm before they get too backed up. They can help service customers in the North Oklahoma City, Edmond, and Guthrie areas if you're here in the state of Oklahoma. Again, give Regional Roofing Instruction a call at 405-623-0755. That's 405-623-0755 for a free quote. And tell them the Inside OU podcast sent you. Hope all of you and your loved ones are getting through this tough time just fine that is the north oklahoma city edmond and guthrie areas for regional roofing and construction to come help you deal with this ice storm that we
0: just went through and if you don't call them we will find you maybe oh we'll find oh you'll find i've got i've got names i can look it up (laughs) (laughs) I, I, i know what you wear when you listen to our show
2: we good to go we doing it
0: we're doing it we're doing it live
2: we are doing it live. That sounds really weird. We are
0: the tongue. We are doing it right now, and you're all forced to listen to it. By the way, that was really funny. Um, thank you for letting me catapult off your uh, tweet yet last night about Lincoln Riley's little folded up play card. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lot of fun with that tweet.
2: It, so, like, usually you see it, but Fox, like, of course, brings the camera in on him after he freaks out about one. That was pretty funny that he got so upset about the hash mark thing. Like, that's whole That's total Lincoln Riley. But then they focused on him, and you s- got to see his play card really folded up. Like, that is, that is like, not even an index card size.
0: Yeah, it looks like my homework, um, as I'm trying to hurl, like, speedily, like, try to right. copy it from a friend before I have to turn it in. It just looks like crap. So, no, it's Lincoln Riley control freak. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> well, he I mean, was good he, today, though. That's, that's why he's successful. I, I say that lovingly. I love that Lincoln Riley is a control freak. I would... Not want him to be Lazé fair at his job. We all remember Steve Spurrier and Bobby Bowden. They got lazy.
2: They did. You, someone says somebody else got lazy too.
0: Well, I, I've made peace with that, Keegan. <laughs> him and I are cool. He's gonna be Forgot on. The, he's that. gonna be on podcast later. I mean, he's on the intro. He is.
2: Yes. No. But we probably could now.
0: I mean, why not? I mean, you did
2: say that he ruined your childhood.
0: He did, but you know, <laughs> I, I grew up. <laughs> I may, I've said this, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I've told a few friends, you know that part in Forrest Gump where Lieutenant Dan's like swimming out in the ocean because he finally made peace with God after that storm. That's how I feel about Bob Stoops now. It's like, everything's fine. Man. It's okay. 2014 was just a bad year. I remember the Sugar Bowl. 2011. I have good memories about the Sugar Bowl. It was a lot of fun. You see Ed Orgeron pull, uh, pull that card today, or this week? Oh, he is he pulling the we won, we last won the national sh- We, match we match won last year. It's like, yeah, but it's such an outlier, especially for Ed Orgeron.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, if you can't be convinced now, like watching Joe Burrow play in the NFL, I mean, they had all the talent in the world. They had the quarterback, they had the receivers. The offensive line came along well. If you check out how any of those guys are doing, in the he had NFL the right coordinator. Year, yeah, they had the best court. I mean, he's doing great things for the Carolina Panthers now. Lost your defensive coordinator to Baylor. I mean, it should have been a down year. This is devastating. Yeah. But at the same time, too, have you seen how they're recruiting? Oh, my God. Well, yeah, that's
0: the thing is LSU always recruits well. The problem was always thus. Like, their system was so archaic that their athletes were rarely ever able to utilize it because they had a pedestrian quarterback who lines up under center and can't make all the throws. They had Jarvis Landry and OBJ on the same team, and – Go back and look at their offensive, not their specifically, but their team overall. Their team sucked; mm-hmm. they were just average, and playing in the SEC doesn't help either because you've got, at the time, clear-cut better defenses than what you're seeing in other conferences across the country for the most part. So that's the thing is like it's OU's luck they play LSU when they finally get a pulse on offense. Mm-hmm. I'm, we were t- Steve and I were talking about this. Um,
2: Plaisance. Plaisance. Yes. La- last <laughs> I think it was last Thursday after uh being at Vanessa House. I typically you know, go down there and chill with them and we go over some numbers and stuff. But uh sounds boring. It is would be to ninety five percent of people looking at a spreadsheet or uh I don't even know what to call what he has, but he uh we were talking about that, like there were three phases of LSC football a year ago. There's the team that barely beat Texas, struggled against Florida and Auburn. Then there's the team that played in the SEC championship game. There's the team that played against Oklahoma, or there's the team that played against Texas A and M at the end of the year. The team that played in the SEC championship game. There's the team that played Oklahoma, and then the team that played the national championship. There was they were better against AM and Georgia than they or they were better in the Peach Bowl than they were against A and M and Georgia against Oklahoma, and they were immensely better. In the national championship game against a freaking good Clemson team. Yeah, they were really good. Yeah. So,
0: but I, I guess Brady,
2: LSU is fun to talk about whenever their demise is
0: kind of coming underneath us. But that's always been kind of like the question that college football fans that have been so tortured by not having watching their favorite team or their school win a national title, is the classic question of: Would you be willing to win a national title this year if that means you are going to be? less than average, or average five for, for five. like three to four or five years.
2: That was my question. Remember I teased the question on the game. Yeah. I guess we're going through number one right now. Would
0: Brady Trantham
2: take a 2007 nat- 2017 National Championship win?
0: If that meant one... Lincoln Riley. Well, he was already head coach. So.
2: That Mike Stoops would still be the defensive coordinator for a couple years, or at least through the end of 2018, as well as your average for the next four to five years, would you take a national championship every decade just to be kind of nine win, 10 win or less the rest of the way?
0: It's, it's a good question. And I understand like where we're trying to go, but there are a program can win nine or 10 games in different ways. So if we're talking about, let's say, Oh, you one in 2008. Sure. If they won in 2008, Everything that happened afterwards is pretty average to me. Now, 2009 is an outlier because that was an injury year. But if they won in 2008, Sam's probably gone, Jermaine Gresham probably. They all came back to try and win a national title. If they win it in 2008, they probably don't come back. So 2009 is probably as bad as it was without the injuries. 2010 was a solid year, but it was still disappointing. 2011 and 2012 were very disappointing. So to me, while those teams won double-digit games or double-digit wins, other people might see that as successful, but to me, it was a comp- one of the worst stretches of OU football since Bob Stoops was here. It, it, underwhelming teams, teams that could not could not overcome teams that were equally talented or just a tad bit better than them. Like 20,
2: you're talking 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, correct?
0: Yes. So to me, like that's like the perfect question is, what if oh, OU just won the national? Would you just be willing to get the national title in 2008? and then be average afterwards? And my thing is, no. Now, if you're asking, would you be willing to take a national title in 2017? I would say yes, because even though Mike Stoops would, if in your scenario, Mike Stoops has to finish out 2018, at least and who knows how long he's here afterwards. The trends from 2017 were much different than the trends from 2008. So... LSU's trends have always been up in terms of recruiting because they always recruit well. But the only thing for them that the only reason why they were successful is because Ed Orgeron f- caught lightning in a bottle. Yep. He Auburn caught lightning in a bottle with Cam, Cam. Newton. Now I know that they went to the national title in 2013, but that was fairly fluky. You know, they they beat Alabama because of the kick six. They beat what was it, Georgia off of a Hail Mary that bounced off the guy's hand or head right into the arms of a receiver streaking like downfield. It was fairly fluky. For the most part, Auburn, outside of that year, has been fairly average since they won that national title with Cam Newton in 2010. So I'd take the 2017 title. I wouldn't take the 2008 title, even though I would take it anyway. But I'm trying to answer your question as much as... As best as possible, and I did a piss-poor job, but it's all about trends. And to me, it was very predictable that LSU would be very... Average this year because of what they lost and how they trend. So, I'm a Cardinals fan and Thunder fan. Probably
2: more so those than ever I was an OU fan from 2000, you know, five to 2007, 2015, 2016, uh, whenever I was still in school i have kind of in. I've fallen in love with the like the Thunder rebuild. You know, at the beginning they weren't any good. Like going to all those games in 2009 when they it were was terrible. a lot of fun. Yeah, it and was seeing that team come up, and now they never won it. But now that they got to a point that they had so much, so many assets, that Sam Presti basically sold himself for the future. Which all credit to him, he's basically has another job for the next ten years. But the then the Cardinals, right? I mean. You start going back to whenever I start remembering baseball. Like Pujols, Molina come up. They win in 2006, and they've been – and the joke is is since 2000, since really I've been around, like the Cardinals have been less than 500 once. Yeah. Like in baseball, that's just unheard of. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Dodgers had their down years for a little bit, obviously just won their first World Series. So, I don't know. I think with Oklahoma, like – as long as you see continued growth and with this fan base.
0: Like, yeah, that's what that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because I, I think probably since 2000, I know Boise State has like probably a little bit more the equal amount of wins as Oklahoma. But let's not compare Oklahoma and Boise no. State. Since 2000, Oklahoma has probably been the most steady, successful program. absolutely, And that's included with the fact that they only have one national title in programs like Alabama, um, LSU, have multiple championships because... But, Alabama and LSU's down years have been bad. Mm -hmm. Whereas Oklahoma's down years have been bad for Oklahoma standard. But even in those down years, you can kind of look at it and go, well, yeah, they lost so much talent from the year prior. They're starting a bunch of kids. Like Mm -hmm. they're, they're bound to be down. Sure. So I don't know. It's a really good question because it's been fun going into every year and having a realistic kind of thought in your head that, Hey, if this happens, oh, you could probably win a national title. Whereas teams like USC, LSU, uh, Alabama at the beginning of the century probably couldn't couldn't have said that, even the most diehard fans. So it's a slippery slope. Like the success is great, all it does is is set you up for like the trending upward of what OU is currently on. But it, it's inherent on the staff, it's inherent on the players to make it happen. And I think at the beginning of this decade. It was lacking, and I think right now, as we get into the new decade of to- the 2020s, it's trending in the direction that OU's going to win a national title in the next few years. I'm fairly certain of it, unless injuries and tomfoolery happens. That's oh, o- we, that's only what's keeping OU from it at this point.
2: We talked about this on Sunday. Like You look at the 2021 schedule, and now this is out from the free one. Oklahoma has at Tulane in Nebraska in your non-con in Western that- Carolina.
0: And that's it. That's it. Yeah, because they're not... And the Big Toll's going to be down again next Army, year. Army is going to be at best rescheduled like five or six years from now, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, so West Virginia is going to lose the Stills brothers, probably, to the draft. So there's their strength. Yeah. Iowa State's going to lose Purdy and Kolar. There's your strength offensively. Now, Brees Hall's back, and my God. But Texas losing Ellinger. And Maybe. A- no, they he is not playing for Tom Herman for another year even if it comes down to it.
0: Well, is Tom Herman going to be the coach next year? Now, if
2: Cum comes to Oh, sorry. Or Coach Urban Meyer comes to <laughs> Texas. Um That's Coach Urban Meyer. Uh, sorry. CUM. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um <laughs> uh, if he goes to Texas, I mean maybe, but I wouldn't foresee that Ellinger wants to be at Texas for another year. Um with the, the ways they with the way things have gone there, TCU is going to lose their two best defenders or three best. Both their safeties and Corey Bethley will be gone. Texas Tech still rebuilding. Oklahoma State's losing almost their entire defense unless they all come back for another run, and Chuba and Thailand. Like, there is, whenever you look towards 2021, 2022, 2023, I mean, with Caleb Williams even, and then, the heck, if it becomes Arch Manning, you know, jokingly, I know Red Dirt support and I have joked about it now within the same week, but it's just, yeah, all signs are pointing to, to that. I, I do, before I ask you my second question, I do want to touch on the press conference a little bit today because he said Treasurer Bridges is in the process of still coming back. And I think the phrasing he used in that, Brady, is important because if things had gone – it's kind of like the Ronnie Perkins thing And whenever I asked him, you know, if there's a chapter, you know, I'm going to use it. Like, that was very positive phrasing for Ronnie's sake. Like, the fact that he said he is still in the process of returning back to the field I think is huge compared to the difference of a negative – yeah, like, we're
0: unsure of where things stand or, you know, blah, blah. blah. That
2: could could have been.
0: Yeah. Well, I listened to the press conference, and then I saw your tweets afterwards, and I'll I'll admit, like, I don't really understand why you think that it's positive because, to me, he just didn't answer the question. He's in the process, but it appears to be that he's been in the process for a handful of weeks. So, But what what if he's in the
2: same process Ronnie Perkins was in?
0: Well, we don't know. We don't know sure, if he, we yeah, don't know if he's in know. his own separate timeout box. We don't we don't know if it's the same thing that Ronnie Perkins was in. We don't even know that he was scheduled to play against Texas Tech like by serving the normal suspension and then maybe something else happened along the way. Like we don't know. So, to me, like Lincoln just didn't answer the question because I think John Hoover was basically I think his main question that I was hoping Lincoln would get to was, do you expect him to be a part of of the team on the field this year? Or do you expect him to play the rest um, at all this year? Which I think is a fair question. And I, I fairly certain that Lincoln probably has an understanding of that, but just doesn't want to put him in a position to, yeah, oh yeah, he's going to play. And then because of some tomfoolery, Trajan just never shows up. So it's like, oh, let's, let's jump on Trajan Bridges. Like, let's criticize him about this. So um, to me, like, I, I guess I just put Trajan, like I was talking to Eddie with the, about this the other day, I just put Trajan in, in the box that I put Ronnie Perkins in that we talked about a handful of times, even up to Texas Tech, where I'm like, I don't really expect him to play at this mm-hmm. point this season. I don't expect Trajan Bridges to play because why should I? Because we don't know what it is. We don't know what mm-hmm. process. It, like We don't know if it's almost done or not even close to being done. Doesn't sound like LaRon Stokes is too injured. Um, that's also in the same question. Don't play him against Kansas. Just yeah, get
2: him ready no for need. Oklahoma State. There's no need for that. Um, the question that wasn't asked today, which I will soon be asked Thursday as this week progresses, doesn't get it enough, I don't think, and you understand where I'm coming from here, but credit, I'm hearing Jaden Hazelwood may play this week now. Like, I've heard, and credit, th- Brandon Drum, because he's been all over that since.
0: I've heard Kansas for Jaden Hazelwood for about three weeks from a buddy of mine. So that's, to me, you can look at it two ways. If he's healthy enough to play, you may have the philosophy of, well, we need to get him, we need to get his legs under him, get him some game reps, so we don't just throw him up against Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Or if he's kind of ready, you don't really want to risk further injury. Just wait the extra two weeks for him to be 100% so he gets two weeks of practice reps with the team. But for all we know, we'll maybe he's been more. practicing with the team.
2: We'll hear more on this on Thursday. I can tell you this that whenever you and I talked about it and I brought up Bedlam, uh, about a month, month and a half ago. Yeah. The they were wanting him to go through like live reps and practice against good on good. Yeah, that makes and they sense. couldn't get that until the bye week. So, if he's going through first team reps this week or going through team reps this week, uh, that's obviously a very positive sign. And I'm sure we'll, like I said, by the time, by the reason why I bring this up is by the time. We record the podcast on Thursday. We will have probably this information of where Jane Hazelwood stands. Um, hopefully, I get the uh, Zoom link for Thursday, so maybe be a part of that. <clears throat> but uh at the end of the day, I I still I will stand by what I've said so far. I think it'll be bedlam. Um, in my head, it doesn't make much sense to bring him back for Kansas because it, like you said, it just takes one bad tackle. And if he hasn't gone through any live game like scrimmage, good on good, like. Oh, Jaden Hazelwood going up against Buki or Jaden Hazelwood going up against Tr- Jane Davis. Like, not going up against a scout team. Hopefully he's remember.
0: going up against Jaden Davis. That's a good test.
2: <laughs> yeah. The, I guess <laughs> that's. Uh, we'll save. Well, here, we'll, he, say, we'll save that for a couple weeks. Here. Let's tease it.
0: In the event that Jaden Hazelwood comes back, whether it's against Kansas or OSU, because you have a better understanding of Lincoln Riley's offense than I do, I mean, whose spot does he take? Because if Trajan Bridges comes back, I assume that he just takes Drake Stoops' role for the most part. Not because Drake Stoops hasn't made plays, but because we all know Lincoln Riley loves to run bubble screens. And like I've said on this podcast a zillion times, I just think from a physical standpoint, Trajan is better suited to block on those plays. So I understand what Trajan's emergence would do to the lineup. I don't think that would necessarily take away from Drake Stoops' opportunities. I think he's played well enough to play his way on the field, even with Trajan Bridges back on the team. But what does Jaden Hazelwood... What is his presence on the field? Who does that take away? What what does that move around, and what what way, shape, or form?
2: And for me, it just comes to the conversation of, okay, they're get your best guys on the field. I mean, that's what we've heard from Alex Ferentz. What we've heard from Lincoln Theo, Riley, Marvin
0: Stogner. Facts. Yep. It's
2: in conversation. I mean, that's that's where I'm at. Um, I I don't know if we'll see him this weekend. Um, really, nothing else was. Kind of came out of this press conference. I think the questions I asked Lincoln was interesting. His answer to it, because like like I said, we asked him hit a year ago. Like if this, well,
0: set it up for the listeners that didn't listen to the yeah. No,
2: I, I was I was going like we asked him a year ago that if he felt like the defense playing at the time at the end of the year was like what he envisioned. But it's like at the beginning of this year, there were questions, and there should have been about the tackling, about the you know conditioning, about all those things. And now they're playing at such a high level, and they're so
0: disruptive
2: up front. And they've yep. been disruptive now for three straight weeks, and no, really four.
0: I mean, if you go back to the Iowa State game, Nick Benito was everywhere. Yeah, like Brock Purdy just made a few plays, not necessarily with his arm, but just to evade pressure to keep the play alive. That's, that's what was frustrating. And to me, that was the scary thing going into Texas yep. and TCU because yep. Ellinger is not fast, but he's mobile. And I'm like, I- are they going to be able to get home? And they did. And then when they play TCU, I'm like, well, Duggan is faster than Sam Ellinger. Is he going to be able to break contain and make plays with his legs? And the defensive line was able to get home. So we're at the point now where we can just expect the Brock Purdy game was an outlier for this defensive line. And now they got Ronnie Perkins back. Maybe Ronnie Perkins's moral support. Just sucked the life out of the defensive line against Iowa state. That's all we can go by mm-hmm. because his presence on the field is one thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, they, uh, Obviously, play a lot better last week. Like I said, kind of a sl- it's Kansas week. I mean, you didn't see anything come out of the Big 12 conference call yesterday. wasn't a lot of notable stuff today from Lincoln, which is not surprising considering the week that it was. Um, talked about the election a little bit. Um, Caleb McCurry asked him about that from the daily, but
0: you know they. I promised the listeners they wouldn't hear one more thing about the election. Look what you do.
2: I didn't talk about it. I
0: it's five eleven right now on yeah, Tuesday. Good God. I haven't watched social one bit of news. Social media is going to be
2: bad here in about an hour. And when people are listening to this, it'll be tomorrow or later. but um,
0: I'm going to the gym after this podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just to avoid it for a couple more hours, I'm uh-huh. with you there. <laughs> but, uh, no, and then here's the question I have for you. ready? In 2014, if Oklahoma, if Bob Stoops, right, because the whole thing, theory in this was that Bob wanted to get an offensive coordinator in that ran the offense he wanted. Well, Josh Heupel wanted to run that offense and Bob wanted to turn Trevor Knight into Johnny Manziel because that's the way college football was trending at the time. What if Bob would have kept Josh and fired Mike? Would you have wanted that or would... I mean, both of them at the same time, obviously, but if you had to have one or the other... No...
0: (sighs) So Josh Heupel did he he deserved to be fired after what we had seen for the years that he was
2: but it wasn't his right he, that was his Josh's biggest complaint was that he was forced to run an offense yeah, that, and that he
0: didn't that's want that's that's what I was going to say was his firing was justifiable now ever since then the more I've read about from Josh Heupel's perspective from and just how we've been further removed from 2014 overall it really seems like like you said Josh was kind of had his hand tied behind his back in terms of the offense that he was actually wanting to run and Trevor Knight we all know god love him for the sugar bowl is just not good. Nope. Now, I don't know how much of it was Bob and I don't know how I don't know where it started with Bob and ended with Josh or vice versa. But at the end of the day, his his firing was justifiable. Mike Stoops being retained was not justifiable because the defense was just as problematic oh, yeah. from 20 from From the time Mike got there. 12 until he got fired. Yeah. Now, this is the time where I kind of mentioned because we've heard this. I don't know who was saying this, whether it was at the franchise on the radio. um, I don't think it was you. But we need to, as an OU fan base, understand Brent Venables. (laughs) Mike Stoops came here for a reason. And it wasn't because Brent Venables was amazing at his job. Brent Venables, I think what we've seen out of uh, Brent Venables at Clemson is just right guy at the right time in the right spot in the right area yeah if you could just transport the big 12 to the southern southeastern part of the country mm-hmm. and all the high schools in that region are not running air raid or spread offenses i think you'd see brent venables or mike stoops have a lot of success a lot of it is just time and place mm-hmm. and brent venables time at ou as it got later and later into the um, 2010s, his idea of defense was not working. It works in Clemson because of where Clemson is and what they're able to get. It's that simple. So stop stop with the Brent Venables. Man, like, oh, you missed out on Brent Venables. No, if Brent Venables would have stayed, the defenses would have been just as bad, probably, Maybe. as they were under Mike Stoops. Now, the thing that Brent has over Mike is Brent's not a coward. Go ahead, Keegan.
2: <laughs> Brent's big, so like, the thing at the end of the Brent Venables area, it was definitely trending in the direction where Oklahoma's defense ended up in 2018, right? Like, yes. Like it was trending in that direction to where Brent just could not keep up with the new offenses that were being run. Like Bryles running a 4-2 a very spread out defense like Brent Venables does against what Bryles was doing yep. would not have would not have gone over well. Now, does it take you more for granted that like that last defense was ranked you know, 25th or, like... Tw- in 2011? And SP Plus was, like, twenty or 25th. Like, we all knew they looked bad. Like, they looked a lot worse than what you thought at the time. But that was because your fans at the time were so accustomed to what... Oklahoma, Like, 2009, Brent Venables was a mean son of a you-know-what. But, like, at the same time, though, like... I mean,
0: Oklahoma, in, in terms of the analytics... Well, this is, why, this is why numbers get on my nerves. Okay. Because in 2011, like you said, it says s and ranked them at 25th, which is good. They get the vast majority of those numbers, I bet, from beating the shit out of all the bad teams in that conference. And remember, they gave up, what, 45-47 to Texas Tech at home and lost. It broke the home game winning streak. The problem with those teams, Keegan... And this is both Venables' DC and Mike Stoops' DC, 2011 and 2012. They would beat the shit out of teams that they were clearly better than, for the most part, except for Texas Tech. And then when they went up against teams that were you know, fairly equal, and don't say Texas because they were not fairly equal, they would lose. And they would give up a lot of points and a lot of yards. And so it's like, OU was the king of this castle in the Big 12, sure, but it was a bad conference, so they're getting a lot of their numbers. A lot of their numbers are empty because when they're going up against teams that they're, all right, if you want to make a run for a national title, you've got to win this game, and the defenses would routinely give up big plays and routinely give up yards. I mean, 2012, look, who were the three best teams though. you played that year in 2012?
2: 2012 was first year of Mike, right, because that was the West Virginia game?
0: Yes. This is an easy answer.
2: It was Oklahoma State. No. Who were the three best teams? They played Notre Dame.
0: One, they, they played play. in the national title that year.
2: Yeah, it's crazy enough. If you look back on that, if OU wins that game, they played in the national championship that year. But I mean, I'm trying to think conference-wise who was
0: good. Uh, Kansas State they got beat by Kansas State. Yeah, who won? Who really won the Big Twelve that and year? Baylor. No, that was 2011. 2012, their three best teams that they played were K State, Notre Dame, and Texas A&M in the Cotton Bowl. The three best teams by far. Yeah, and each team dominated Oklahoma. Sure, Oklahoma lost to Kansas State because of a bad fumble by Blake but Bell. Colin
2: Klein was unbelievable. That yeah, night. but
0: that—that's the point. Is OU's beating the crap out of the rest of the teams on their schedule because they're just clearly better than them? But when they get up against somebody with a pulse that can punch back, those teams would lose, and that was the problem. And the 2012 team that was just basically a holdover from Brent Venables and all the problems that his defenses had. Sure. Um,
2: I mean, Brent probably doesn't put Tony Jefferson as a linebacker. but No.
0: Um,
2: no, I think it's an interesting... Just I was thinking about this from seeing Hypel having success at UCF and they continue to have success. He had success with Drew Locke in Missouri.
0: Although a lot of that with Hypel as well that I didn't really get into was my dad would always say this at the time. You don't cut your teeth learning how to be an offensive coordinator at a school like Oklahoma. Sure. And maybe it's a little unfair for us to judge Josh Heupel not just because Bob may have forced him to do some things that he didn't really want to do in terms of play calling. But because maybe if he had gone to Missouri before or Utah state before, maybe we get a different Josh Heupel, but I mean, it's all moot cause I'm, I'm glad Lincoln Riley's here.
2: Yeah, no, no doubt. It's just, I'm I was thinking about that. Cause you probably still have Josh Heupel at Oklahoma and then who's the head coach. It just it, And then where does Lincoln Riley go? Like, well, I
0: remember like the thought was Lincoln if, Riley's
2: yeah. probably the head coach at Texas tech.
0: Yeah, like I remember, the thought was if Heupel trends in the direction that everybody wanted him to trend, like as the Wonder Boy, like he was the Lincoln Riley back then. Yep. If he trends in the direction, well, then Bob's going to retire and then Josh will take over. So I think <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like this pro this program was always destined to be led by an offensive mind.
2: Yeah, for sure, especially the direction Bob was heading at the end of his career, where yeah. he put a lot more focus on the offense um, than he did the defense. So, no, it's. It's just a fun look back.
0: And look, I, I want Josh Heupel to be back in good graces with OU. I I truly do because, he, dude, he won the last national championship, and I love that 2000 team, and I love Josh Heupel as a player. He was maddening as an offensive coordinator, but like we just discussed, first, first gig as an OC, and Bob was fairly influential on in the play calling, so I don't know how much of it we can fully blame Josh. I, I want there to be a time where... We're all at the stadium watching an OU game, and they honor the 2000 national champions, and Josh Eipel's there, and he gets a gigantic ovation. I want that to come.
2: This year would have been a perfect year for it if there wasn't a pandemic 20 year anniversary, but 25 year maybe. Maybe see Josh Eipel back whenever Oklahoma was playing Ohio State in the Big Ten. But that's a conversation for another day. This is weird. I'm kind of just taking over and driving this thing and letting no, you know. No, it's talk.
0: fun. This is what happens when OU plays Kansas. See, I talk way. I've listened to back
2: to a couple of the podcasts, and now everybody knows I have. My head's the size of a watermelon half the time anyways. So, I typically i have listened back and I've realized that I do talk a little too much. So, I do want to thro- podcast, you're
0: supposed to talk. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's for sure. But, Brady, I am at a point... You go and we, we talked about this a little bit in the postgame on Saturday. Where, like, Oklahoma and the only thing really stopping them now... Two things I want to mention before I throw this to you. One, again, who is blocking number seven, number eight, and number eleven whenever they're lined up on Oklahoma's defense. And if you want to – Isaiah Thomas, NFL guy too, I'm not discrediting that at all. But those three, like if you look at the real hard data on Nick Benito this year, it would say he's one of the best head rushers in college football. Regardless, like SEC, ACC, doesn't matter. Like Big 12, he may be number one. Now, O-side, obviously when you watch the games, Osai is by far oh, yeah, the he, best. He helped them
0: win a game. Yeah, so. for
2: sure. But the the stats that Nick Benito's putting up in terms of pressure and disrupting the offense's – is up there um and then just overall just the schedule I just don't I don't know so I'm going to throw this at you we we talked about this a little bit on Saturday but the only thing stopping Oklahoma right now is Chris Kleiman winning a couple games he shouldn't which he's very capable of doing and two stopping Tylan Wallace because I that if
0: he can literally change that entire game is this the conversation we had pre-podcast earlier yeah kind of Okay, so basically what Keegan and I were talking about was um, we got onto the conversation of what is more likely, um, OU winning out, OU not winning out. Like, that was kind of the general crux of the conversation. And to me, if I had to bet, yes, I'm betting that OU wins the rest of their games. But I would probably wager that if they were going to lose a game, it's going to be a game that we do not foresee, and it's because of the youth and experience on this team. That kind of puts Baylor into that conversation. I know Baylor's a bad team. It, I just feel 2001 OU-OSU vibes. Now, to your thing about Chris Kleiman and Kansas State, um, yes, OU can win the rest of their games, and it won't matter if some X, Y, and Z things happen with other teams, but I think Kleiman and Kansas State have already got their win. couple that they, of them. That they shouldn't have.
2: They shouldn't have won uh, TCU either. They shouldn't
0: want won a TCU as well, but... Um, they, Will Howard is a bad, bad, bad quarterback. I don't care if he's a freshman. I don't think he'll be this. I don't think he'll, I don't, I just don't think he's good. That dude's release is so terrible. Oh yeah. And it just, it begs for turnovers. So that's turning in the absolute wrong direction. And also, like I've said, I said it after the Kansas State loss. I've said it a few times to you because I know Chris Kleiman is a great coach. But fundamentally, like teams that only rely on being fundamentally sound, they have a ceiling. And they have to do that because they're Kansas State and they don't have the talent across the board. They've got some nice players, of course. They're Kansas State. But fundamentally sound teams, and that's all they have, they're going to lose a few more games. And then when you throw into uh, the monkey wrench that their quarterback sucks, they're going to probably lose three games at least from here on out. So that takes care of Kansas State. So, with Kansas State, I want to say this and credit, Stephen,
2: all the analytics guys for this. This is why this line was so bad or was so, you know, West Virginia was favored by five at home, like, against Kansas State. And everybody was like, what the hell? Well, when you look at the numbers and they spit out all the data of, like, garbage time this, garbage time that, they you know, yards per play, like how many explosive plays you get. Kansas State, the path that they had winning football games was unsustainable. They beat TCU by a pick six and in and, and one big explosive play. They beat Oklahoma on like three or four explosive plays. And they beat Texas Tech on two or three explosive plays. Like, you just can't. That is unsustainable football. Like, those just don't. Winning football games and not being able to have a good efficiency is just unsustainable. So, that's what the numbers said. So, credit to all those guys that had that right for this game. Because, like, whenever I was over at Stevens, he was bringing up to me, like, I have West Virginia by 10. Like, this West Virginia team that everybody didn't know anything about had just lost to Texas Tech. His numbers, I believe, had them by, like, no, West Virginia winning by 9.5 or 10 right. against, against K- Kansas State. K- yeah. Against Kansas State. And everybody was saying, like, this line's awful, Kansas State this, Kansas State that. Um, So credit those guys for that. Um, Now, to your – before we get into the nuts and bolts of the final – Again, I want to reiterate, and I think a lot of people will be like this, and I completely get what you're saying. Don't get me wrong. Oklahoma has has fluky losses all the time,
1: but Baylor they've already had Baylor. They've already bad.
2: had one. Like yeah. Kansas State's gonna roll Baylor. Like they I, are terrible. Yeah,
0: don't don't get this wrong. OU should have beaten Iowa State too. They they were they are the better team, uh, but Iowa State earned that win more so than Kansas State earned their win against OU. OU lost Kansas State because of just of their own dumb assness of sure. how they played from the late third quarter into the fourth quarter. Oklahoma made bad plays against Iowa state. Sure. But, um, Iowa state made a lot of plays themselves. So I, I, I credit Iowa state for beating OU more so than I credit K state for beating OU. So yeah, you can look at it like this, like, OU has their fluky loss out of the way. My problem with this, the rest of the schedule, Keegan is this is a young team with a young quarterback. And I have no doubt that they're going to be ready for Oklahoma State and put their best foot forward. I have no doubt that they'll be ready for a probably a night game in Morgantown because every single game in the um, since West Virginia has been in conference with OU, every time OU goes to Morgantown, it's always been a night game. Mm-hmm. They've not had one sunlight game in Morgantown. So I have no doubt that OU will be prepared for that and put their best foot forward. But if everything plays out the way that it should, OU beats those teams... And Kansas State loses them games. Oklahoma State does what they do. Texas does what they do. And OU just kind of looks at the Baylor, or their last week against Baylor, with the mindset of, all we got to do is win this game and we're in the Big 12 Championship. That's awesome. They need to go into that game with the same intensity like they would against Bedlam, against Texas, because I know Baylor is bad. But I can see a young quarterback and a young team, and especially a, a team with some guys that have high penalty rates, and we'll get into that in other podcasts later on this week. Oh, I, I thought I, we were
2: going to clip that part out.
0: Oh, well, I mean, we can. If, as a tease, I'll say this: you, you
2: if know what I'm talking. Of, if they have a bunch of penalties like against Oklahoma State, that will that conversation yeah. with Stephen will come to light.
0: Again, I think OU is going to win the rest of their games, but if I had to bet a loss, I can see a young team overlooking the bad team on their schedule and not the. The better teams on their schedule if that makes sense and I don't know like as much as I want to believe that this team has truly figured it out and I feel like for the most part they have and them getting healthy and getting their suspended players back certainly helps them really see their ceiling much more so as much as I want to believe that I still think there's a loss left in this in this group and it has nothing to do with the fact that I think this group is bad I just think that they're there are some key players that make silly mistakes every once in a while. And I think that everybody else is just young. It's the same reason why we saw Marvin Mims drop a for sure touchdown. Does Marvin Mims do that as a sophomore, junior and senior, if he's still here? Probably not. Theo, Theo while he played last year is still relatively inexperienced as being the guy. Does he drop that next year, following year? Probably not. Young teams, young players just make mistakes that you cannot foresee. And I, I just feel like that we're all hyper-focusing on they're going to beat Kansas, Oklahoma State's going to be the big game, and then a road game in Morgantown's going to be tough, even though OU has won there every single year <laughs> that they've been in the Big 12, and then we're all going to overlook Baylor, and then boom, also guy, Les Miles, 2001 can happen. If is going to lose another game, I'm probably crazy, it's going to be against Baylor, not against OSU or West Virginia or Kansas.
2: And I'll say this and where I stand. Is if Oklahoma, like, you're talking about this youth and inexperience and that being a huge issue, right? Where I'm at is that if it's going to come up, it's going to come up against a really good team, defense, and whatever. And that will be Bedlam. Like, if the youth and inexperience comes, it's going to come in that game. Or it's going to come on the road at West, West Virginia just because you j- just played Bedlam. Big game for the program. Riding high. And then you go on the road and play a good defensive line. I mean, West Virginia as a whole isn't very good. Jarrett Dougie's okay; like he can make winning plays if you need him to, but he's not a winning quarterback. If that makes sense,
0: he's not very accurate. Fifteen yards downfield, no, he no. can make he can make a lot of the throws that Sam Ellinger can make. But he he's just to me he's just a smaller, slower Sam Ellinger. They so and less talented Sam Ellinger. But uh. So, I
2: get my point. Uh, West Virginia, I was thinking of this. Sorry. West Virginia has a really good running back. I don't want to – because it, it does sound like LD. It may be, it may be leady or – I don't know. But he's really good. But outside that, no, I'm not I'm not too worried. Um, obviously, the numbers will back that up. I mean, Oklahoma. Yeah. I think, you know, like how the game goes with Kansas State this weekend, if Oklahoma State can bounce back – because in terms of the numbers, they actually improved. Which is crazy off the Texas game because their efficiency was so good. That's what happens when you have bad fat, turnovers you have four and turnovers and a bad penalties or, and a kickoff return for a touchdown. Like those get spit out of the equation for mm-hmm. the most part. So obviously it's a trend. Um, now, I think it's interesting for sure. Uh, so I'm I mean, I'm at a point after, you know, Texas Tech and we've done enough everybody this week and everybody we've we talked about in the postgame show. I am sure you guys got a little free version of that. Um, maybe you no know, maybe I'm mistaking, but You know, this team, Brady, uh, we already mentioned number 7, number 8, number 11. Secondary, everybody knows got to get better. Offensive line is pass-protecting, which is opening up the game for Spencer Rattler. If there's two things that are mutually exclusive about this team, the secondary playing better the last two weeks because of the defensive line, or the last three games, the defensive line playing better, not playing good. And then the offense, Spencer Rattler's growth because they're pass protect. I mean, I can't think of a time a team has blitzed five or six guys and they have not then they've gotten home. Like think about that. Really since the tech, since Spencer came out in the second half or came back in in the second half against Texas.
0: Yeah, and you saw this against TCU and uh, a lot of a lot against Texas Tech and I know like on your film breakdown you might actually identify a few plays, but there were there were times where Spencer it was on that play where he fumbled the snap and it happened two or three more times. When he rolls the offensive line still understands what they have to do to keep Spencer comfortable and not having to run for his life. So, I no one really ever talks about this little concept, but I think that it's important. You can't just be good like as an offensive line on your initial job, but when the play somewhat breaks down your quarterback's run like starting to roll out, understand where to block your man, not towards the quarterback. Completely and utterly away from him, so Spencer can just stand there and wait for a guy to get open because they're going to get open. So I think that this offensive line initially at the, what their initial jobs are improving and they're really good, but they're also just getting smarter because mm-hmm. a lot of times earlier on in the year from your film reviews, a lot of their breakdowns were just out of mental lapses, guys just completely not getting to their guy, and I think that we're seeing it all starting to kind of come to light for this group.
2: And it has, and it's exciting. It's it's fun to watch. You know, and it, it's what we all expected, right? They play at a high level on the offensive line. The running game gets going a little bit. I mean, the against TCU, Tex, at the end of the Texas you know, game, Iowa State or Texas, TCU, and Texas Tech, the running game's gone going a little bit. Let's not get a little overzealous on that. I don't think they're back yet to where they're going to be and maybe not be until after that Oklahoma State game because Oklahoma State's front is, is really good. I mean, yeah. they've got two to three NFL guys on it. So I'm looking forward to that. I, I think you're, you're talking about a, a program that went from Texas Tech North could be doomed. And I'll say this, you know, we're all being negative and making these comments and this and that and overreacting, And but the reactions were fair. Like No matter what Lincoln says, no matter what anybody says, those reactions were fair because what they were putting on tape was very concerning about the program and its, its general, its culture, this and that, whatever. But all credit goes to Lincoln Riley, and I said this on the post-game pod, but, I mean, alumni were questioning him. Like, they they were questioning his mental toughness as a leader of this program, questioning his toughness as a leader of this program. And, like, things, though, would be – this is my point – is how much different are we talking about this team if they had lost that game to Texas?
0: Sure. They didn't. So absolutely. um, I remember thinking at the time when – What you're talking about with alums questioning Lincoln Riley and his leadership of the program, I thought that those questions were silly, because a lot of it stems from like the strength and conditioning being, you know, from Benny Wiley compared to um, Jerry Schmidt. There's always going to be the factor of players once once they become former players and once they become older humans, it's always going to be tougher. Like. I was like, back in my day, we had to do X, Y, and Z, and all these kids, they have it easy now. Like, there's always going to be that factor. And now you add into it that it's a different strength and conditioning coach, and it's a different staff. So that's just going to be amplified that much more when the former players watch their old school and they don't perform up to par. So I think that's also the only thing that I think had any validity was the um, discipline of the program. Because under Lincoln Riley, like OU's been a highly penalized team. Sure, sure. And I think to what Lincoln would probably say, well, we're aggressive. Okay, but how come a lot of the memories I have of penalties have been just as a result of dumb play?
2: Bookies in the Peach Bowl. Yes, out of dumb play. That is the number one of number
0: one. But there's just been a handful of times where I'm like, this is just a dumb penalty. That's a dumb penalty. That's the result of dumb play and not being smart. That's the only thing I thought was valid of questioning Lincoln Riley, but... To Lincoln Riley and the team's credit, since basically since Texas and even during Texas, penalties have been have been going down. Sure, and it's coincided with OE's offense figuring everything out and their defense just becoming. I mean, their their defense is good. Yep, their defense is good. So um, I don't really put that much stock in pl- former players complaining because th- at this point they have a better understanding of how to play football than I do, but they're just fans. You know, they're just fans, and I say crazy things sometimes. Do you? And they say crazy things sometimes. I don't think you say
2: anything crazy. I'm just trying to get brownie points for whenever you say that
0: Baylor's going to beat Oklahoma at the end of the year. The worst take I've ever had, I said it on Twitter, I did not at Baker Mayfield, but it was 2014 going into 2015. And my friend Jordan Mayhew uh, was tweeting me saying, like, Brady, like, Baker Mayfield's going to be good, and I was like, a walk-on from Lubbock is not going to be our savior. Oh, no. And guess what? Baker Mayfield liked the tweet. No, he didn't Again, Did he really. I, he was not added in this tweet thread whatsoever. He like basically was looking for people talking about him. You know, because this is the offseason that he won the starting job. And I was a jaded OU fan because I just had the experience 2014. And Baker Mayfield was a walk-on from Texas Tech. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not our standard. That's the worst take I've ever had. And... To put a bow on that story, two years later I ran into Baker Mayfield at Logie's 2016, and it was kind of quiet at the, around the bar. I was ordering a drink, and then I realized he was standing right next to me, and he was like leaning up against the bar too. And I'm like, "Yo, Baker, hey, I know you don't know who I am, and I know you probably don't remember this, but..." And then I explained the tweet, and I was like, "I just, I'm, I'll eat crow. Like, you, you completely and utterly proved me wrong. I just, I wanted to give you some, some of that satisfaction." And he was like. Oh man, that's cool. That don't worry about it. Like Oh yeah, he I, was awesome. I you he's like, it helped me. So he's like, so you can you can take a little credit to that. And I was like, well just understand I was completely wrong and
2: But no, it's fun. Kansas this week. Kansas does not have Puka Williams, Brady. Kansas does not have really anybody. They just got blown out by Iowa State.
0: We'll get into this a little bit on Thursday, but overall thoughts are just win the game. Be healthy. Yeah, get no, that. That includes Kansas. I don't want to see anyone get hurt in this meaningless. It's a meaningful game because it counts, but is going to destroy them. They're a bad football team. They're a bad program. I just don't want anyone to get hurt.
2: Pretty interesting, though. You look at the conference as a whole this week. Texas has West Virginia. West Virginia coming off the big win against Kansas State, which ultimately helps Oklahoma. Oklahoma State, though, goes on the road at Kansas State, and I think that's a game that uh, not a lot of people are talking about. Kansas State's up to twelve and a half. I love Kansas State in that game. Texas is 6.5 points, point favorite over West Virginia. I love Texas in that game. But it is each week, each game now, Brady, is going to become more and more interesting. That's I, And we will talk to Stephen Plasance about that on the Thursday pod, which we've already recorded today. But he had some really interesting stuff just from the aspect of I knew it would come out this way whenever he did the simulations based off our numbers. Yeah. But the fact that Oklahoma is now projected to win the conference more than anybody with two losses and having tiebreakers against them right now, I think is pretty telling about the direction of this thing's going to go. And, you know, you look at a game this week like, it say Kansas State beats Oklahoma State this week, that is devastating to Oklahoma. Like, yeah, Oklahoma needs Kansas State to continue to get worse, and
0: they need Texas to win a couple games. And Oklahoma State's, I think they're going to beat Kansas State just because of the reasons we talked about KSU earlier. But Oklahoma State is in kind of a bad spot. They've got Bedlam to look forward to, and Spencer Sanders is coming off of a game where he both put them in position to win and then <laughs> lost them the game because of his, of his Spencer Sanders Sandersness. Which is he can turn the ball over. He is he is what Spencer Rattler was for two games against KSU and ISU and the first half against Texas. That's basically the Spencer Sanders experience. So weird things happen to Manhattan, I guess.
2: <laughs> I think whenever you talk about that game, like and I said this earlier, you don't want to give Chris Kleiman more opportunities. Chris like Oklahoma State and Spencer Sanders are going to give Kansas State more opportunities. And the more opportunities you give them the tougher it's going to be to win that game, and that's where I'm at. I Kansas State again favored by twelve and a half now in that game. It's up from nine and a half, and I promise you that line's going to come down as the week goes on because people like Kansas State analytically is terrible. We've talked about this earlier. The way that they've won football games is unsustainable. Yeah, four to five explosive plays, couple turnovers, get lucky. It's definitely interesting. Times in the Big Twelve because Kansas State. Let's just theoretically work with me here. Oklahoma State, say Texas, and Kansas State win this weekend. Kansas State has Iowa State and Texas left. They would have to lose one or one more of those games. The real best bet for Oklahoma, if they wanted to make it as smooth as possible, went out, went out, and Iowa State went out.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's the. Uh Clearest picture in my head
2: because Kansas State's going to lose one or one or two of Texas, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State.
0: And look, I don't really want to entertain this, but I can't help, but I cannot help but just admit that I'm a fan, and fans will always do this. I am recognizing that this is silly. But let's say so. Let's say that some certain scenarios play out, Keegan, and OU makes the Big Twelve title game against Iowa State, and then OU thrashes Iowa State like they will, like they should. They will, if they play Iowa State again, they're beating them by it's going to look like OUTCU in 2017. If that happens, is there a scenario where the committee goes, they avenge their one loss and they eventually they essentially excuse me, they essentially, we should just view them as a one-loss team because there's not an undefeated Pac-12 team, because there's not a clear-cut, good group of five team. Is there a way that a two-loss Big 12 champion Oklahoma can backdoor? Into the college football playoff, only to be destroyed by whoever they play, <laughs> whether it be Clemson, Alabama, or Ohio State. Or do you think that there's a stronger likelihood that that will be a big nay because there is a at-large SEC team? I don't think there will be an at-large ACC. Maybe Notre Dame could be a monkey wrench if they no, only two losses. Have they already lost?
2: Well, they would lose to Notre Dame twice, Clemson? or they lose to Clemson twice. Yeah,
0: because they're oh yeah. Yeah, it's kind of bad that they're technically in the conference this year because mm-hmm. if they are indeed the second-best team in the conference, they're at least going to have two losses, so that kind of eliminates them. And
2: they've played, like, crap a couple times, too. And so State, here's the scenario. Penn
0: State's already lost twice. Michigan's already lost embarrassingly. They're not losing to Ohio State. They're not losing to Ohio State? Or they're not no, beating? They, they're not beating. They no. are
2: losing. They're not beating Ohio
0: State. Yeah, or. basically, I don't think there's going to be an at-large Big Ten or ACC there's so the chance that there's an at large SEC is i guess kind of strong and the Pac-12 I have no I have no fucking idea
2: Here's your here's your scenario
0: and I've sent this to you
2: Alabama's 11 and 0 Clemson's 12 and 0 Ohio State's 9 and 0 Oklahoma's 9 and 2 Cincinnati's 10 and 1 and Oregon is 6 and 1 Who gets in
0: I think Three I, undefeateds, and I,
2: then it's between Oklahoma, Cincinnati and a 6 and 1 Oregon team
0: I don't think, man, I think I jokingly replied Cincinnati uh, because I think the committee is going to look, I think they're going to look poorly at the Pac-12, which is hypocritical because we should also look poorly at the Big Ten. So
2: then my question back to you is you really think they're going to leave out Oklahoma and uh, whenever the companies and conferences and teams need money?
0: Again, OU has to beat play Iowa State and beat the shit out of them.
2: Yeah, no. Say Oklahoma beats the crap out of Oklahoma State, which I, it could be a possibility. Turnovers, offensive line from Oklahoma State can hold up. There's a, a lot of really good scenarios in that game for Oklahoma. I like Oklahoma a lot. If you can't tell,
0: and look, I don't think OU has a chance in hell if they are able to backdoor into the playoff. I mean, yeah. they get. I don't even. I'm not 100 percent sure they're gonna, they're going to win out. So that's where I stand. But if they do somehow make it to a playoff, because scenarios play out in a certain way, then... They would get Clemson first round. I think it's so good for this team. Mm-hmm. I want you to really think about it.
2: It'd be the confidence heading in the next year, win or lose that game. And in
0: fact, it's like, I want them to get the shit beat out of them in the playoff game. I- I'll hate it at the time, but I'm like, remember this. Remember this, everybody.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, because next year they're going to Now be, it's your turn. Yeah, next year it's going to be uh, glorious. But at the, uh, again, like if OU plays Clemson... And the way Clemson's playing defense right now,
0: like oh, Keegan, let's let's not get there. Let's no, not. I'm not
2: saying I'm not saying that they can. I'm saying could they make the game? It could like OU was a 14 and a half point dog against Clem, against Alabama in the Orange Bowl. Do I think Oklahoma could cover a 14 and a half point line against Clemson? Yes.
0: Sure. That's where we're gonna end this one. We, we've Are you gone. Sure? Yes. I
2: I I know I threw this at you at you and Comer uh, the other day, but I'm definitely of the uh, of the opinion that I think. It's not out of the realm of possibility. You have UCF. You have uh, Clemson. Cincinnati has UCF as well as they play at Tulsa or at Tulsa, which going to be a big game. Those are two huge games in terms of the playoff. And Oregon, I mean, a total unknown. Like they, if they go undefeated, it's in the conversation. Oregon gets in at seven and zero, and that defense could give one of the three teams trouble. That yeah. defense next year, Oregon next year is already. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say this when I'm, I'm. I'm just spitballing this out there. Clemson's going to have DJ. Alabama's going to have Bryce Young. Oklahoma's going to have Spencer Rattler, and Oregon's going to have a defense. The so SEC's not going to be very good. In terms of the scenario I threw out you, though, of o- Alabama 11-0, Clemson 12-0, Ohio State 9-0, Oklahoma 9-2, Cincinnati 10-1, and Oregon 6-1. and The wrench in this, Texas a is going to be favorite with the rest of their games. They may go 9-1. Texas a may be 9-1 with a loss to Bama.
0: And they won't make the SEC title game, so they'll be the uh, true at large. They'll be the at lo- Texas A&M will play
2: Clemson, and then in the college, you Bowl know
0: playoff. what? Here's what I would prefer to happen. I want OU to win out, win the Big 12 championship in dominant fashion against Iowa State to avenge that loss, and then A&M gets into the playoff finally, so they can be absolutely thrashed and exposed as the fraud of a program that they are. So go away, Texas A&M. Well, oh, you can go to a New Year's Six bowl, win it against maybe a name school, and then catapult themselves into 2017. la the 2016 Sugar Bowl against Auburn, heading into 2017. So that's my ideal situation.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm. I'm. It's. Uh, it's Kansas week, Brady. It's hard to get. Hard to talk about. Hopefully, you this enjoyed
0: game. this stream of consciousness podcast as much as we enjoyed talking about it. But uh, I'll do my best to edit it down, uh, bit by bit, um by um if you will, uh, for your listening pleasure. And then, of course, Keegan, any more final thoughts before we sign off? Good. Good, because I'm I'm ready to. No. I've got to pee. I've got to eat. I've got to go work out. I've got to, I guess, pay attention to the election because it's 5.50 right now. So who knows? Breaking, Got the numbers rolling in.
2: Oklahoma has selected Donald
0: Trump. Oh, man. That's, that's a, that is. Shocked by that? I am, I am shocked. Color me shocked.
2: No, I, I, we're not getting into politics, but it is it is pretty funny that, like, I know kids that are my age or younger, like, they're all putting in, like, random names, some, some of their absentee ballots, like, because they just don't care about their presidential vote here in the state. It's kind of sad that, that it's already at that point, but that's my politics talk for this podcast, and God bless you all the next two to three days, because I don't think this ugly thing's done.
0: Looking forward to football on Saturday. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Thank you once again to Eddie Radosovich for uh, coming over for Media Corner. Again, you can hear the whole thing on our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash inside underscore OU for just $4 a month. It's a great conversation, so I highly recommend it. Uh, Looking forward to Keegan's film review. Looking forward to Flashback Friday. I'm still trying to figure out a good topic, but rest assured, I will get it done and out for Friday for everybody to listen and enjoy. Uh, So everybody... Appreciate you all. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you on Thursday at Vanessa House.